Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing with, well, I'm dishing with Colleen Christensen, all on the topic of intuitive cooking and quote unquote healthy ingredient substitutions and how that jives with intuitive eating. But first, a little catching up. Gina, what's going on? Okay, this is incredibly random, but I something I forgot to add to our brag about your man episode when it comes to how my husband, Nick, and my dad are similar. This is, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but my dad's mother's maiden name is Casa. My maiden name is Casa Grande. So technically I married my dad. <laughs> We're related somehow. All of our kids have 10, you know, 10 toes, 10 fingers. Uh, but there is some down the line relation. And I, I don't know how I forgot that. So even though they're very dissimilar, uh, they have a lot of, they have only a few things in common. They're not, they're very uh, different. They are, you know, probably related and we are probably related somehow. So Casa Grande and Casa. Yes, that means house. My last name was Big House for, for many, many years. <laughs> I love <laughs> Everyone it. says, did you know your last name is Big House? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. Tell me more. Anyway, I do miss that last name very much. Uh, another thing, Cameron got glasses. And I will tell you, he has been doing so well wearing those things. I thought for sure he wouldn't wear them. And at first he was very reluctant to put them on, said he wouldn't wear them. This is day three. And I, in all the preschool photos that I've seen or summer school photos that I've seen, he's had them on. So fingers crossed that he's, you know, continues to wear them. Uh, very proud of him for that. He's so cute. They're adorable. <laughs> I know he does look so cute in those glasses. It's, he looks so different, but I think I know it's going to help him and uh, it's going to be a good thing. Lastly, I just want to say, since we're talking about intuitive eating today, I'm still offering $100 off per month on my subscription intuitive eating and wellness service. So if you're interested, just visit www.nutritionunmeasured.com to sign up. Uh, I would love to work with you. Cool. That's it? That's it. it. (laughs) Oh, well, okay. So we are into summer camp now and Piper was talking about this little boy, Charles. Well, it ends up (laughs) that I play hockey with his dad, kind of sort of, and his mom was in my, is in my book club. And this is their oldest kiddo who's seven and Piper's five. And uh, so we finally figured out that Charles is Charlie as I know him. Apparently he goes by Charles now. And then we see him at the pool and he is following Piper around like just on her tail the entire time. It was just so cute. And then Shay got whacked in the eye with this uh, dive toy. It was like a, with a sharp, it was like a shark dive toy. She got an immediate black eye. She was crying. Mark was not in the pool. I was off paying our bill and he was like, he was there, but he was reading a book and uh, Charles comes and he goes, Mr. Shay's Shay's dad, Mr. Shay's dad, Shay's hurt. And it was so cute. And he's like, so he like came to, you know, Piper's sister's rescue. And oh my gosh, all we're Aww. hearing about is Charles. And now he supposedly has a crush on Shay too. Oh my gosh, all the things. <laughs> um, but that is so we already week one, three days in, we got an email from camp 
um, let's let's please, uh, you know, uh, keep, uh, you know, the hugging, touching, sitting on laps, arms around the shoulders at a minimum. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So it's oh, basically wow. a soap opera going on at um, at camp, but really cute. And then coming off our mom guilt episode, Piper has a new line um, and it is she'll ask me to do something. Mom, get in the pool. OK, maybe in a couple of minutes. But I just want to spend time with you. I'm like, oh, oh, she's guilting you into she, getting in the pool. She is so she her and her words. I mean, she's always been my words of affirmation girl, but now she's she's getting a little bit more creative and manipulative with her words, but in like almost the sweetest way. The other day she came downstairs and um she was not dressed as she normally is for the morning. Her hair is like all lioness and crazy. And I go, hey, sis, you didn't get dressed. And she goes, short sleeves are long. And I said, short sleeves were <laughs> Finally, in uh, Mich- here in Michigan, we're finally in short sleeves on a daily basis. And uh, so she's going back up the stairs. And I said, you look really cute this morning with that crazy hair. And she's like walking up the stairs. She's nearly at the top. And she goes, you look really pretty. And I love you the most. Like she's all the way upstairs. And she's saying, oh, just like my sweet girl. She just oh, says this sweet, 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 sweet thing. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we are just uh, work as busy as ever and and just all good things. So boating and pool and We've had just killer weather. Lake Michigan is already like toasty, which is at in June. Amazing. Normally, I feel like we have to wait till like August or September for the water to be lovely, but it is already lovely and we have been in the water. So we are just soaking up summer. Wait, usually the, the water doesn't get warm until August. Like really nice. No, it takes and, a while. And now it's June and it's already warm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really hot. I, I see that makes me that, that all my mind goes right to global warming. I'm like, that is that's just crazy. I, I, yeah. I that's just sound two months before. Well, I don't I mean, know. I'm being a little dramatic, probably. I mean, I certainly have gotten in. I've been in Lake Michigan in May. Um, Not it's not enjoyable, but yeah, yeah. it's it, the but the lake also turns over. I, I am not a um whatever this weather person is that deals with lakes but apparently that's like a, that's a job to watch the great lakes and the water levels and yeah I'm but sure it, it does turn over so sometimes it'll go from being really nice to really cold just overnight Ooh, interesting yeah okay and i don't know how often that happens but yeah i mean looking at the lake like the waves and we look at all that kind of stuff so water temperatures we're constantly googling what's going on in lake michigan <laughs> even though we live like basically on lake michigan yeah it has oh. been so so hot here so hot in fact yeah. yesterday Paige was supposed to have her first tennis lesson and they canceled the it's just one independent um tennis instructor she said it's too hot and i'm like it's going to be like this all summer are you going to cancel every single yeah. week i was yeah so she rescheduled for a friday morning i'm like oh, maybe we should just make it for friday mornings always but yeah, you can't cancel because of hotness. It is summer. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, before we begin, just a quick favor to ask. Since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us, and they really help us reach more people. So, of course, we'd appreciate it. Awesome. Well, today, like we said, I am hopping on with Colleen Christensen, uh, who's a registered dietitian. She's been on our show before. She's awesome. She's big and intuitive intuitive eating. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, we will welcome her to the show. Here we go. Welcome back, Colleen, to the show. Uh, Your episode, I've already told you this, is our number one most downloaded episode. That is, uh, yeah, I mean, just awesome. But 
So thanks for coming back. You yes, are a popular guy. <laughs> I'm excited. We probably should have done it sooner. Uh, so that said, what is new in your life these past few years? And please do update us on any major changes to your business or your coaching. Update us on all the things, um, dog, whatever you want to, all the things. I feel like I my life probably looks totally different from when we last spoke. I feel like I think I was still working at the hospital when we last spoke. And now I'm full time in my own business, doing my own counseling and coaching in intuitive eating. And it feels really, really good. I feel like I've really gotten into the thing that I was meant to do, which is really funny because I never thought that this would be my sole career coming from a background of an eating disorder and struggling through disordered eating after recovering from that. I always thought it was going to be something that was going to be too close to home. But the further along that I got and food was just normal, I knew I had to step in and be the person that I didn't have. And that's exactly what I do today. So I do all of my coaching through my membership, which is called The Society, spelled E-A-T-Y, because we are a society that actually eats. And it's it's a blast. So that's really where I do most of my work. But I feel like I'm all over social media doing Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of the places, podcast. And it's truly been able to marry my passion for intuitive eating with being creative. I think that's always something that has been a common characteristic in my life. And I feel like both of those things have married together so well. Um, so yeah, that's life update. I feel like, or work update, life update. I feel like pretty still status quo here. Me, my husband, I'm not sure if we were married at our last um, recording and our mm -hmm. little beagle who is probably 50% of the reason why anyone follows me on social media is to see what he's stealing out of the pantry that evening. But yeah, that's pretty much update in a nutshell. He is adorable. Okay, so I have to ask in terms of social media, I'm old. TikTok is like, I get why it's so addicting. It just goes and goes and goes. What has, has TikTok been more meaningful for you in just when I say that, like just in terms of reach than Instagram, would you say? No. So not for me um, because I resisted TikTok for so long. I feel like I'm just getting into like posting more on there. But I think the biggest thing for me is like everyone says like post like three to four times a day. And I'm like, I, I that's just sounds so intimidating to me. So I'm on there what I can. But I think the biggest advice that I have for anyone on any social media platform is don't feel like you have to do all of the things. Like I am so much happier. I I, I like TikTok. It's fun. I'm more of a consumer. Um, like I said, I'm getting more into posting some of them, but I love YouTube and I love Instagram. That's easy and fun for me. Um, but I am trying to also push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit with TikTok because it is a lot more informal mm -hmm. and I'm trying to like let go of my perfectionistic tendencies and just kind of like throw spaghetti at the wall and just post stuff, see how it does and just make it a little bit of an experiment because I feel like a lot of dietitians can relate to that. I mean, having that type A, okay, I want this to be perfect. Well, if you're going to post that many times a day, like it, you're just going to have to do it. So it's my own little work in progress there, but uh, 
yeah, it's it's blown up. And I do think if if I were starting like getting into social media, I'd probably start there. But since I didn't start there, I had this following in other places. Um, I, I resisted it probably for a little longer than I should have. That's funny. Yeah, I, I remember picking your brain a while back about just social media. And I've been at like the same number of followers, which I don't care other than like I want to drive people to my blog. Like that's where I want people to land. And what people don't understand is like you have to lead them there. People don't just go like browsing the web anymore. Like something leads <laughs> them to that landing page. Right. Mm-hmm. And you were like your advice, like you found success in really like scaling like truly finding your niche. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you do on social media involves like your work in a very like amazing way. I work like a boring, like hospital job. Like <laughs> I mean, I love my job, but I was like, I don't know that I can like my Instagram is more like kids and dogs and books. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be okay with that. (laughs) Like, you know, at some point, like you said, you can't do it all. Like the algorithm says, okay, do it three times a day. And you're like, um, when do I find time to like exercise and cook and spend time with my family and do anything else three times a day? I mean, content, creative content is just a difficult, challenging thing. It is. But you slay it. So everybody, I'm sure you'll, (laughs) you'll share your socials at the end. Um, Yes. Uh, All right. But jumping in, speaking of time, I cook a lot, less so than ever before, probably, but still quite a bit by today's standards. Um, And I've lived through many diets and periods of restrictive eating that have certainly impacted my approach in the kitchen. And we're all familiar with a whole lot of ingredient swaps, you know, applesauce for oil to make a recipe lower in calories and fat or Greek yogurt or sour cream uh, for sour cream, I should say. And the list goes on and on. There's there's endless what is your approach with these substitutions when it comes to intuitive eating? Yeah, I love this question because I think we're really getting into how I view food versus how you would think someone who preaches food freedom would view this stuff. Because I don't necessarily think those things are inherently bad. I can tell you, I typically will use Greek yogurt in place of sour cream. Now I'll explain why. The And that I think that answers the question. It depends on why you're using it. So for me, I always buy a thing of plain Greek yogurt every single week because I know I'm going to use that. I'm going to put it in smoothies. I'm going to make, I have a protein baked oats recipe that I make. It gives the oats a little protein boost because I know that's going to help me stay full longer. And so when I make tacos, I have that on hand already. So I can easily use that in so many more ways than if I just bought sour cream, like I'm probably not going to use that for that much else for besides like tacos. And I'm probably going to waste it. It's probably going to go bad before I get through the whole thing. So it's not that I don't think those things are necessarily bad. And also, I don't think necessarily using applesauce in place of in oil is necessarily bad. I think that if you would feel guilt, stress, or anxiety, and this is how I really differentiate between a food rule and a food preference, if you would feel guilt, stress, or anxiety over having a brownie made with oil versus a brownie made with applesauce, then I would say, okay, maybe that's a food rule that we need to work on making peace with foods that have more fat in them. But maybe someone is using applesauce in a muffin recipe because they want to get some fruit, a little bit of fruit in in the morning. Totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. 
we really want to dive into the the why behind it. I truly, truly believe that there are no food rules. And I think that a common thing that can happen in the food freedom space is that people create food rules around the quote unquote healthier alternative and say, I can't do that. I can't use Greek yogurt on my taco salad in place of sour cream. I can't you know, use the applesauce, whatever it is, you absolutely can. You can do whatever you want. There are no food rules, but we want to understand why you're doing those things and to see if that's associated with a food rule, any guilt, shame, or anxiety around those things. So almost don't create food rules around intuitive eating either. It goes both ways. I think that's something that a lot of people do because We're so used to following these rules, these diet plans that tell us what we can do, what we can't do. And I also think that there's some fear around if I let myself do it, then it's going to feel diety. And it very well could. And that's why I also think it's important to approach intuitive eating not from the place of where you're just following what you see on social media and just replicating that and truly getting into what do I want? Why am I making my food choices? What makes me feel good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. What about things like whole wheat ingredients swapped in for their more processed peers? And should we as dietitians be encouraging these swaps in the kitchen? I know like kind of like half your grain should be whole. That's the, those are kind of our our guiding principles as dietitians. Where does that land with you? Yeah, I definitely think that that is something. I mean, I I always say I am a dietitian. I care about your nutrition and that does tie into intuitive eating. I think that's a big misconception as well is that nutrition just doesn't matter. And I think that is, again, a totally great thing to recommend. But I think that if if it's a dietitian that we're talking to or really anyone either relaying why we're doing that versus just telling someone to do that. And if you are on the consumer side, understanding why. I actually, I have a, I call it non-diety nutrition school. It's a course (laughs) where you can learn all about this stuff. And we talk about this, about the recommendation of that half of our grains are, you know, recommended to be whole. And it's not a bad thing to think about those things, but we want to make sure that A, we're understanding why. Okay, because I under I know what a refined grain versus a whole grain is. And I understand that some of those parts that have a lot of the nutrients in there that are going to help keep me full are removed. So understanding the actual recommendation itself and why we have that, but then also not demon not having the recommendation at the expense of demonizing another food. Because in that case, we all just instantly turn into five-year-olds who were just told not to press the big red button, to eat the processed grains, and then we just want to to touch the red button or eat the processed grains. So I think that it's a balance. And it's, I think, first, we need to make peace with all food. We need to overcome that guilt over the processed foods, the white wonder bread, the fluffy stuff. And then we can start to explore some gentle nutrition once we've overcome kind of that guilt or shame associated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Uh, uh, oh, I jumped ahead. Oop. Okay. Backing up. <laughs> um, cauliflower crust. Okay. Th- these kind of get picked on, but <laughs> I'm wondering, is cauliflower crust still a thing? I think so. Okay. 
we're like the last people probably who would know. <laughs> like people ask me about, I'm like, I, I don't know. Is that a thing? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm wondering for those who this is a thing or a question, what's your approach to things like Kali rice or Kali crust or even things like low carb tortillas or for those following a low carb or ketogenic lifestyle. And I guess for me, the response I often get from people is that they quote, taste the same, or they're eating the same as their families and just eating the rice or pizza, the rice, Kali crust or a different tortilla. So what's the big deal? Can this type of swap still be a part of an intuitive eating journey? Or are there any mm, perhaps considerations in this type of approach? Yes. So I think that, again, we want to think about why we're doing these things. Cauliflower crust or anything like that, it can be a fun way to eat cauliflower. And most people don't eat enough vegetables in the first place. So, okay, cool. Now we're eating it in a fun way or they don't like eating just plain vegetables. So awesome. Go for it. Use those fun products. But again, we don't want to feel guilt or stress over the real deal thing. And I think that this is really where we get into a food rule versus a food preference. And it's okay to say, you know what? I don't like having, if I'm trying to think, you know, sometimes those like giant burrito tortillas, I mean, they can get like so large. It's okay if you think, okay, you know what? Eating, let's say a huge two burritos with those wouldn't feel good. It's okay to choose a smaller one or anything like that. It's okay to have those product preferences. But I think that especially something when we get into the case of, okay, let's let's say I serve my family the regular tortilla and, you know, mommy has her special tortillas. I think, A, there are going to be some instances where medical needs, if someone has celiac disease and they can't have gluten, maybe the mom does have a different tortilla that they have because a lot of times those more specialized ones are a lot more expensive So maybe, you know, everyone else has a whole wheat one or something like that. But I think that something that was really brought to light in the pandemic was when people didn't have access to their quote unquote specialty products and people just literally didn't know how to eat without those things. So I think that's kind of a really good question to ask yourself if you are someone who is grabbing the lower carb tortilla, because sometimes those a i think it's important to understand that if it's lower carb it's probably not going to satisfy you the same and keep you as full but one thing that i've noticed about low carb products is they do typically have more fiber in them which can help keep you full um so for someone they might be like okay cool that's going to give me a little bit more fiber um and i don't think that's necessarily good necessarily bad everyone can make their own choices but i would really ask, okay, what would happen if you only had the regular option? I specifically remember when I had a lot of my food rules and I would only eat sugar-free syrup on pancakes. And I was like, oh, they taste the same to me. I don't truly notice a difference. A, now I do notice a difference. Like real maple syrup is so much better. I think I was personally tricking myself, which is a very common thing in dieting. And But I specifically remember when the store would be out or we couldn't make it, we had to make a special trip to a store that actually had it. I didn't know what to do. I was lost. I felt like I couldn't eat what I was going to use the maple syrup for, whether it was probably some like insanely not good pancake from diet culture. But I was just so lost. So I think that's a really good question to kind of ask yourself. 
is this just a preference that I have where I don't notice a difference or would I feel kind of lost or guilty if I had to eat the real deal things? Because like I said, there are no food rules. You have your preferences. Another example someone actually posted in my community group was, you know, those bagel slims, Mm -hmm. like they're like the thin, like sometimes they come in like hundred, hundred calorie things. Someone posted, I like these because they leave some room. I can have something else with it for breakfast. And that's totally fine. You can absolutely do that. But she was like, uh, if they didn't have these, I would just eat enough of a bagel to keep me satisfied. Like it's not a big deal. So I think that it really comes down to why you're doing it. And I think really the golden question is, is there guilt, stress, or anxiety over not having that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great way to approach it. I was recently, um, you're from Michigan. Have you heard of Silver Beach Pizza? No, no. I feel like I need to. <laughs> yes, I feel like you need to too. You're not that far away. Okay, you guys come down for a beach day and just make sure that you stop at Silver Beach Pizza. Okay. It is like, it is like the bomb.com. So they offer um, lots of different options. Like for for our keto friends, they've got like just meat and cheese in a bowl, basically, that's like mm-hmm. cooked. Um, and maybe you can get vegetables. I don't know. Not sure. But then they also have like gluten-free crust. Okay. We know all about, you know, some people need gluten-free. Got it. There's a reason. And then they also have collie crust. And a friend recently, I think it was for book club, but she was like, I really want to try it. I'm like, cool. Like I, but you're to your point, it was like, I didn't super care whether I had, I was like, I'm going to try something new. I wasn't like, this is healthier. Or there was, there wasn't any additional like follow-up thoughts, questions, anxiety, like you were just saying, it was just kind of like a matter of fact of we're going to try something new and cauliflower is good for me. Cool. That was like, it was like period. Like there was no additional just noise around that decision. And it wasn't as good as the regular pizza. (laughs) I think that's for me, that's what makes not having food rules so exciting is you literally can try anything. If there are times when something will be like, there'll be a vegan option at a restaurant. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really, I do meatless Mondays, but like, I'm not a super great vegan cook. So I want to try that when I'm out. It doesn't mean that I, you know, feel guilty over having the other thing. It just means that this sounds like something that I want to have this experience of Sometimes I will use that phrasing when it comes to making food choices. Sometimes we just want to have the experience of it and then we get to decide. Sometimes, I mean, you just don't know until you try. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good explanation. Um, In kind of researching in, in true, <laughs> in full honesty, in researching for this this particular episode, because intuitive cooking is a new, um, I'm sure it's not new to you, but it is a new something to me, just kind of applying the practice of intuitive eating through the cooking process. But uh, one of the terms that kind of kept popping up in my research was neutralizing. So neutralizing different ingredients that may have been demonized or feared. It it should be encouraged to use all ingredients by neutralizing ingredients that may be limited or avoided. Do you agree with this approach? And if so, do you have any tips for those looking to make strides in neutralizing certain foods or ingredients? Perhaps it's like butter or vegetable oil, or I, I don't know. I kind of think of all the, or maybe it's maple syrup to your point. You know, there's probably a lot of these, but does that do, does that resonate with your approach as a dietitian and any kind of advice, I guess. 
Yes. All of the yes. I think that (laughs) that's a really great way to put it is we just want to feel neutrally about food. It's not that we want to put, we want to take food off of its pedestal and is a cookie the same as a carrot? Absolutely not. But is it morally better than the other? No, they're just different. And I think that when we can see food as just different, that is when we get to that place of food is neutralized. And oh my gosh, I have so many tips. And honestly, this question here is why I do the work that I do. Because when I was going through this process of trying to figure this all out, I was in college at the time and I made it way more complicated than it needed to be. It took me a lot longer. It was very, very frustrating. And I do believe in a specific order to go about this stuff in. So I think that we all think about this and you, anyone listening might have a food come to mind that you're like, oh yeah, I want to neutralize Ben and Jerry's ice cream or, you know, chocolate cake or something like that. Chocolate cake is what I tried to start with. And I don't recommend a trying to break the thing that you want most, the hardest food rule that maybe you have. I don't recommend A, trying to break all of your food rules at once, trying to focus on too many things at once. And I don't recommend starting with the hardest one. But even before you get to this point, there's a lot of kind of pre-work that I would recommend. There's something called biological reconditioning, where essentially we want to be able to get our body back to a place where it's actually functioning, where if it's fed, where it's nourished, where it's giving you strong hunger and fullness cues. And then we want to get into more of this food neutralizing side of things. Because if we think about it, and this is exactly what happened to me, so I'll give you my scenario, it was chocolate cake. I was like, I am going to let myself eat the chocolate cake. It is going to be great. I'm going to listen to my body. I ate the whole chocolate cake. And after thinking about it, it made sense because I was like, of course, I'm not going to know when to stop eating the chocolate cake. My body doesn't give me strong hunger and fullness cues. I haven't learned to listen to my body. So how am I going to know when to stop eating this food that I'm trying to neutralize? So I think that doing a little bit of that, giving your body a little TLC, I'm a big analogy person. I always explain it as if you are texting a friend and all of a sudden you just ghost her, you stop texting her. And then you try to pick it back up later on after she's like, well, you know what? Like, I don't want to talk to you anymore because you're a flaky friend. You start texting her. She's probably not just going to jump right back into the conversation and tell you, you know, everything that's been going on in her life and have an easy conversation with you. It's probably going to take a little bit of nurturing on your end to be like, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to ghost you again. I promise I'm going to give you the attention that you need. That same thing is really the process of getting back to a place where you have those cues from your body. You were dieting for so long, ignoring it. You can't just say, okay, body, like, let's do this now. Your body is kind of like, okay, you were flaky. You were not ignoring me. So we have to do some of that work to get back to a place where we can listen to our body. We all want it to be, and a lot of times think it is just this light switch that we can turn on. But a lot of times we have to do that kind of unsexy work, that groundwork. It's like building a house. You have to get a good foundation before you can get to the kind of more fun stuff like hanging the drapes or that can be very stressful. Don't don't get me started on how long it takes me to pick out a rug. My husband will <laughs> attest yeah, to that. That's a hard pick. 
it is a hard pick and you don't know until you get it in the house. Okay. <laughs> but it, there's a lot of, of groundwork. So anyone listening, if you are trying this food neutralizing stuff, I think that it's absolutely needed, but just know that there's a little bit more kind of strategy than typically what glim- glimpsing at social media will lead you to believe. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any, um, or, or maybe a, a client that you're working with, if you're able to share, of course, not any identifying information, but perhaps an ingredient that they have neutralized recently and like their approach in, because it's not just a decision. There has to be like a, like a, a, a drop day of like, we're going to do this with this ingredient on this day. Like, what does that look like? And maybe what was that ingredient for that person? Or maybe yes, it was I yourself. Feel, yeah. So for me, I, I usually will use the example of, What's a, what's a good one? Peanut peanut butter is a good one. I feel like peanut butter is a big one for myself, for a lot of my clients. And what this really looks like is, like I said, we have to do a lot of that groundwork first, but then it is, it's exposure therapy. It is exposing yourself to that food in a specific way over and over again. It is getting yourself out of your comfort zone and showing yourself this is not, you know, something that I need to restrict. So this could be eating it at breakfast, eating it at snacks, adding some here and there. And I think really getting creative with how you eat it at different times a day in different ways. And the more that you do that, I hear this all the time. People will be like, you know what? I'm like, I I don't, I get it. I can eat the peanut butter. I don't want it anymore. And that's what really happens. And the goal is not for you to, this is the whole process that I'm explaining is something called habituation. It's kind of like when we, something is new and novel, we want to eat more of it. So the whole process is to neutralize it, to make it not feel as new and exciting. And But it's not meant to have you burn out on it. It's just meant to exactly that, to neutralize it. You can still get, I still get tons of joy from peanut butter, but it's just not this all-encompassing, exciting thing where I just need all of it it just becomes normalized. So does that answer your question? Yeah. And what you just said, I think caregivers could literally plug in everything that we try to do to get children to try and have exposure to new foods is exactly what you should do to neutralize foods. It's like you could have almost replaced like, you know, an adult with a child and, and you know, introduce. I mean, everything was almost like to a T the same. I I don't know if you follow uh, Casey Barnes, Mama Knows Nutrition. Um, She specializes with kids and she kind of does that that same exposure. So I specifically remember one thing and starting small that she talks about with broccoli sprinkles and just kind of like working your way up from there, exposing the kids to that, getting them used to it. Um, So shout out to, to Casey. She's, I think, fabulous. Follow. All right. Some might say that choosing recipes that are light or low carb is not being intuitive, but can it be? I think you might have alluded to this a little bit. Is there anything wrong with taking a recipe and making it lighter, lower in carb, you name the modification, or can that still be a part of intuitive eating? And I will say, I want to specify, this is for a, quote, healthy adult. We're not talking chronic disease. We're talking maybe somebody who, if anything, is focused on weight management, if at all. So. Yeah, I think this, I immediately have like visions of Pinterest going through my mind where it says like skinny, light, healthy, all of those things. And I think that it 
in my mind, it really doesn't matter what the name of the recipe is. It matters more of the actual ingredients and if they align with what you are wanting. So, for example, and I I think this also goes back to the intent of it, but I remember I was making a, I wanted to look for a recipe for broccoli cheddar soup. I don't like super thick soups. Like, I don't like super creamy soups, and I'm not a big cheese person. I know that sounds weird, but I'm just not a big cheese person. So I wanted a soup that was a little bit not as super cheesy. Um, And when I was looking them up, a lot of them came light. And I was like, that is a good descriptor of the type of soup that I am looking for. I'm looking for a lighter broccoli cheddar soup. Now, I think that it's important. Are you looking for it because that's what you're wanting? Or is it because you're that's what you think you should have or that in order for you to make that without guilt, it would have to be something that is lighter. I really don't like the terms like skinny recipes because that to me is just like, okay, so if you eat this, then insinuated, this is going to be the outcome, which is just, I think, A, I think it attributes to fat phobia and it is just you can't tell someone what they're going to look like if they eat something. <laughs> so I think that, and I know, I think a lot of people don't understand why people do that. It is a lot of times, as you know, probably yep. for SEO, that's what people are searching. Um, same thing. I don't love labeling recipes and I don't personally do it as healthy. I prefer to call them what they are. If it's like a high protein or a veggie packed recipe, um, but I don't think that we should necessarily be letting those, and this is, I would say, after you've made peace with food, letting those as an intuitive eater dictate your choice. It's looking at the actual recipe. Is this what I'm looking for? Is this what's going to be satisfying to me? Or am I making this choice through a diet culture lens? And I think that that's another really sneaky one that a lot of people will turn into a food rule. Or maybe they're maybe they search for broccoli cheddar soup on Pinterest and then they find a recipe that says light or skinny and they say, oh my gosh, like I I, I can't can't look at that one. That's a no no. It's really not a no no if if you're if that's what you're wanting, but it matters that you are making the choice, not the name of the recipe is validating your choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Totally for the SEO episode sellout sometimes. Um, way less so than I used to be because it just irks me to no end to do that kind of thing. Um, But I get it. (laughs) All right. So someone recently told me that they intuitively eat an intermittent fasting type of diet. In other words, intuitively, their body isn't getting hunger signals until, say, 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And it works great um, for them because they are essentially intermittent fasting. So they're kind of like, is this a twofer? Um, what are your thoughts on that? And I'm, I am kind of shifting away from the kitchen into a little bit of like diet culture question, but I, I'm going to hop around here at the end. <laughs> yes. So I think that there's a lot of layers to this. I think that my first question would, would be, why do we need to name it? Why do we need to say we intermittent fast? I find a lot of people just want to put a name to something and that can kind of be like, a, we will still be tied to diet culture a little bit just to name what we're doing. But I really challenge anyone to get rid of labeling the way that you eat, what you eat, how you eat. Um, 
And what if we all just ate in a way that felt good to us? Now, I will say with this, knowing how our bodies function, I always remind people that our when I say listen to your body, it also means your brain. Your brain is also a part of your body. And knowing how much energy, readily available energy that our bodies can store, the way that our bodies function optimally, our bodies could probably benefit in terms of energy regulation, blood sugar, all of those things. If we probably offer it something in the morning hours, I mean, think about it. If we don't eat till 12, 1 p.m., the last time we ate was the night before at dinner or maybe a snack after that, that's a long time for our bodies to be going and dipping into the energy reserves that they have, which they really don't prefer. That's a long time. So typically there is something called practical hunger that intuitive eaters use a lot is just kind of knowing, okay, even though I'm not physically feeling these cues, it might be a good idea. My body would like it if I gave it some energy. Another thing that I would say is, are you not getting hunger cues because you've lost your hunger cues from dieting? This is a very, very common thing when someone starts to work on eating intuitively And they say, I just don't have hunger and fullness cues. And this goes back to a lot of that biological reconditioning that I talked about where, okay, we have to kind of get those hunger cues back. So just because you don't have them right now doesn't mean that your body doesn't need something or that your body wouldn't prefer something. So what I would recommend, but again, there are no food rules. You get to do whatever feels best to you. But I think understanding this a little bit more and doing a little bit of, I always say, I want you to pretend like you're a scientist. You are just doing experiments and assessing the data. Is this something you enjoyed? Is this something that was helpful to you? Was it not? So I would say, okay, let's experiment and let's try maybe next week. We're going to try to offer our body something in the morning. And it doesn't have to be anything huge, but we'll Even it could be, okay, I don't want to eat something, but maybe I can get a smoothie down or a yogurt. And do you notice a difference in your energy? Do you notice any, you know, hunger for the rest of the day? Do you notice that, oh, you know, I didn't get as ravenous in the afternoon when I had something earlier? Just experiment with those things. And if anyone listening is in that boat, as I'm telling you, okay, well, let's see what eating something feels like and decide for ourselves. Sometimes people will, oh my gosh, no, I can't do that. That signals to me that this is not a preference, that it is a food rule that we shouldn't eat in the morning. And again, if there's any of that guilt, stress, or anxiety, that's something that we want to explore further because there is likely some sort of a food rule attached to it. Mm -hmm. Guilt, stress, and anxiety, it's all coming back to that. (laughs) It's it's good. Uh, We do have a lot of parents who tune in. What are your thoughts or opinions on disguising, quote, healthy foods Um, in terms of cooking, particularly fruit or vegetables. You know, the old puree the things into the XYZ so that the kids don't know that they're eating spinach or whatever it is. Yeah. And I talk about this a lot with adults, with my (laughs) own clients, is this idea of quote unquote sneaking in veggies or disguising them. And I don't I don't love the term, especially sneaking veggies in, because it makes us feel like we're doing something wrong or that we shouldn't know. And I think that there is nothing wrong with adding in veggies or fruits in a way that's going to be enjoyable to you. Sometimes that's going to look like making a 
macaroni and cheese with some butternut squash, which is delicious, by the way. Or maybe you put some spinach. Or my favorite thing to add to pasta is a can of mushrooms. It adds like texture. It adds, I think, some flavor and a little bit of veggies in there or some spinach. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But I think having that transparency and seeing it as for adults, I always say it's an empowered choice. Like you get to add veggies in a way that makes you feel good. And I think that with kids, I don't think that there's anything wrong in preparing them in a way that is enjoyable. But I do think that when we sneak them in, that is, especially with intuitive eating, even for adults, a lot of our issues with food stems back to childhood. And I know that is a huge part of why I started all of this work personally and why a lot of my clients start this work is we want to be able to raise a generation or have an impact on a generation where they have a healthy relationship with food. So if we think about it, if we were to try to sneak things in or disguise them, that could potentially create kind of some food trust issues for kids. They don't know what's in it or, oh my gosh, like this is so grotesque that you have to hide it from me. They could associate veggies or foods in that way. I think that it's not that there's, like I said, anything wrong with the act of doing it. I think food is so much, and this is why I think it's also fascinating to me. Food is so much more psychological than it is what we actually do. So I think that it really depends how we go about doing that and introducing it and having the kids understand and be in that process. And I think that the best thing that we can do is to model those behaviors um, that we want them to have. So whether it is showing them, okay, this is what I'm doing with the broccoli or the butternut squash, and this is how we're all going to eat it together. And then that exposure, if at first they're like, heck no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you just put a little dollop. And again, I learned this from mom and nutrition. Maybe you just put a little tiny dollop on something that they do like and see if they can just get exposed to it that way. Then that might lead them to wanting to try more, to wanting to try a bite. And then we kind of work with them versus against them to kind of incorporate some of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I like how we can think we can like sneak things past ourselves if we're making it. I disguise, (laughs) I'm like, you still know it's in there, right? Oh, too funny. No, that is great. You are just a wealth of knowledge. I always learn something and some little pearl nugget, multiple pearls, nuggets, full necklaces of pearls to take back to <laughs> just life and um, my practice as as a dietitian as well. And I, I just always learn so much from you. So thank you. And Colleen, for those who are not yet following you or connected with you, can you lead us to all the places that we can connect past the show? Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at no.food.rules. That's where I'm most active. You can find me. I always say my goal is to educate, but also give a side of giggles at the same time. I think social media should be enjoyable. So that's what you'll find there. I'm on YouTube, TikTok. My website is ColleenChristiansonNutrition.com. Um, but if you go to my Instagram page, you'll be able to to find everything there. And then the society, my community, where I do all my coaching, you can find them on Instagram at the underscore society spelled E-A-T-Y. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we so appreciate you coming back. And I'm sure we'll be reaching out in the future for uh, a 
a 3.0 episode. So thanks so much, Colleen. Take care. Absolutely. All right. That was awesome. Um, Gina, do you want to read our review or do you want me to read it? Go for it. All right. Hillary K. 622 says, good working mom content. I enjoy listening to the co-hosts chat about their lives and working motherhood as two moms who work full-time in quote traditional jobs. They are very relatable. I like that the co-hosts bring different perspectives and feel comfortable disagreeing and challenging one another. I enjoy the variety of topics that are covered, which go beyond nutrition. I do wonder if the podcast title is a little misleading as the content isn't limited to dietetics. All very true. So yeah. yeah. And whole family wellness, you know. There you go. Uh, all right. I skipped mom wins. Do we want to back up and do mom wins? Yeah, let's do mom wins. Mom I, wins. I, I think I actually have one, but you can go okay. first. I'm trying to find the recipe. Okay. Mine is, I, I have a difficult body to um, fit in terms of underwear. I won't go into details about describing my not so sexy body, but um, it's. Uh, I have challenges with underwear, riding up, going places they don't need to go, rolling down, you name it. Soma makes this underwear called in a vanishing edge. So it's I have no longer have panty lines and these underwear stay put. They actually have like little rubber pieces on the inside, like which sounds yucky. It works. It, it's oh, I okay. love these underwear. I will link I will- them in the show notes. I will tell you, Soma and my body d- does not work. I went there because I, was, I hated I, the I was, bra. I hated the, the bra, bra I bought. Yes, the bras are horrible. I I bought. I spent like two hundred dollars, which isn't actually as far as bras. I think I got two two bras for two hundred dollars, which is you know decent price, but still expensive, right? I don't even wear them. They're horrible. I don't know why I didn't return them right away. I, I just kept thinking, oh, you know, I'll learn to like them. Nope, terrible. So not a huge fan. But if they have good underwear, I'll maybe I'll go check that out. Okay, so I found Nutrition Action Newsletter is something that I still get. It is from the Center for Science and the Public Interest. It's still very diety and uh, sort of fear mongering, which I don't love, but they always have good recipes. And they had at the end of their last one, this chicken satay skewer with peanut sauce. And I made it thinking, of course, the kids aren't going to eat it, but I'm just like, whatever. Exposure is the, you know, the goal. I'm going to keep making these things. Paige loved them. I couldn't believe it. And I'm going to put those in the show notes because they were also very tasty and and pretty simple, I would say. You know, obviously putting things on a skewer, it takes a little bit of of effort. But overall, the recipe was simple. Uh, And and like I said, Paige enjoyed it and they were even good as leftovers. So yeah. All right. So coming up on July 17th, we will be dishing about NA or non-alcohol beer and mocktails. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.